So in part eight of our series, Wisdom That Works. Everyone say that, Wisdom That Works. And before we even dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. It was chapter, all of chapter five, and it was a warning against adultery, against sexual immorality. And I gave you three points. You might remember these points. Uh, point number one of last week's text was the deception, say that. And that's in verses 1 through 4. And Solomon's warning against adultery, sexual immorality begins with an address and a call for attentiveness. And he needs his son's attention before he gives the teaching. He's like, son, I'm about to say something to you. I'm about to say something to you. I'm about to give you some wisdom. So pay close attention because this immoral woman is going to tempt you and try to deceive you and drag you down. And he says, Solomon says, her lips drip honey, her speech is smooth, but in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. In other words, she, she'll take you down and she'll rip you apart. The second point was the destruction. Say that. And that's in verses 5 through 14. And to walk in the ways of adultery, sexual immorality is to begin on the path of destruction. And Solomon says, listen to me, do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Solomon's saying, because if if you go down that path, if you do that, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And you will lose your honor. You will lose your wealth. You will lose your reputation. And you will lose your health. The third point was the design. Say that. That's in verses 15 through 19. Solomon's lesson shifts from sexual immorality to the wisdom of sexual intimacy, sexual satisfaction with one's own wife, with one's own wife. And this is God's design, right? God's design for marital intimacy, one man and one woman for one lifetime. And then in the remaining verses, verses 20 through 23, Solomon returns to the warning Uh, which he began. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is Wise Warnings. Everyone say that. Here in the text, Solomon is giving his son and all those who are reading Proverbs, this word, Proverbs, practical advice, words of wisdom, wise warnings. Say that. Wise warnings concerning several important areas in a person's life i got five points for you from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is the loan. Everyone say that. Write that down. Say the loan. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And here what Solomon is doing, Solomon is giving instruction regarding finances, and he's warning his son and us about taking on a credit obligation on behalf of another person or entering into a business transaction. And so I want you to follow me here. My son, verse 1, my son, if you have... Put up security for your neighbor or surety if you have struck hands in pledge for another. The word there's also strange, in other words, if you shake hands with somebody. If you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. In other words, friends, I want to stop. In other words, you're caught by the words you spoke in agreeing to the loan, even though the lack of payment is not your fault. Okay, and, and Solomon says, listen to it, listen to what he says. Then do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself, press your plea with your neighbor. Verse 4, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber 
to your eyelids. And what Solomon is doing, Solomon is urging swift action here. Don't let a night pass before seeking to be released from the loan. And he says in verse 5, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter like a bird from the snare of the fowler. In other words, free yourself from the trap you fell into. Get out of, of this quickly as possible. And, and Solomon says, if necessary, humble yourself. Humble yourself and plead with him to pay his debt and free you from your part in it. Listen, friends, it's wisdom. Say wisdom. Come on, say wisdom. To think carefully before guaranteeing a loan or co-signing or entering into a business transaction. And what wisdom would do, wisdom would advise against doing that with someone who could easily send you into financial ruin. And that's what Solomon's saying. Let me say this, the text doesn't condemn all forms of co-signing, nor does the Bible forbid all forms of borrowing and lending. But it does speak, the Word of God does speak against unfair interests and other unreasonable approaches. And I'm not going to get into that right now. Also, this is not a challenge, the text, this is not a challenge for us to not be generous. We should be generous. Can I get an amen? Psalm 112, verse 5. Write that down. Psalm 112, verse 5. It says, Goodwill come to him who is generous and lends freely who conducts his affairs with discretion. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Know the difference between being generous and being foolish. Know the difference between being generous and being foolish. And this is Solomon's point, that we would have wisdom. Wisdom and use wisdom to figure that out. When should I be generous? And, you know, is it, is it wise to be generous? Yes. Okay. When to do that? And... You know, wisdom, hey, I shouldn't do this. Don't be foolish. And we have to use wisdom to figure that out. Now, I know that it does feel good, right, to be generous. It does feel good to uh, help people, good and rewarding to help people. But if it puts you into financial ruin, Solomon says, don't do it. Don't do it. It's just not wise. This is not saying you can't co-sign for your kids. I co-signed for one of my, my children, and she bought a truck and, and prayed. It's a risk sometimes you got to take, right? But thank God that she's making the payments and I haven't had any issues with that yet. So it's just, he's just saying be wise in your finances when it comes to co-signing or in a, in a business transaction and just be wise to know, should I do this or not? And it's going to put me in financial ruin. Don't do it. Are you guys with me? Say the loan. Number two is the lazy. Say that. The lazy. And this is warning against laziness. Laziness. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. And he says, go to the ant. This is not your auntie or your thea he's talking about here, okay? He's talking about the little six, right? These little critters with six feet, right? Ants, right? Okay. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Now, the word sluggard or slothful, sluggard or slothful, that word, it's mentioned around 17 times in the book of Proverbs. And it describes a lazy person who refuses to work. Proverbs has nothing good to say about this kind of person. Are you guys with me? So he says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider, in other words, think about, ponder, consider its ways. Whose ways? The ant. And be wise. Verse 7, it has no commander. This is what it says, no overseer or ruler. 
Verse 8, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food for, or at, excuse me, at harvest. So what Solomon wants, listen, he wants the sluggard to consider the ant's ways. Now I want you to notice a couple things here. First of all, notice ants, if you look at the text, ants, I'm, I'm going to use this word, these words, ants are self-starters. Say that, self-starters. Look at the text. It has, because of the ants, no commander, no overseer, or ruler. In other words, there's no one telling them what to do. Are you guys with me? They just do it. They just do it. They don't have to be commanded to work. They just go about getting the job done. They are hard workers. Have you ever observed ants? They're always on the move. Hard workers. Are you guys with me? They're a great example of a diligent, hard work ethic. They're self-starters. Question, are you a self-starter? Are you a go-getter? Say go-getter, okay? Who just gets it done, or do you need someone to have to tell you what to do? Huh? Are you guys with me? I, 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 God has blessed me with amazing parents. My daddy's now with Jesus, and my mom's alive, still here with us. And my parents have just amazing, amazing parents. And my parents, through, through word and through deed, show me how to be a self-starter. Both my parents, hard workers. And my parents, through word and deed, said, if you see something, listen, if you see something that needs to be moved, then move it. If you see something that needs to be cleaned, then clean it. Something needs to be vacuumed or swept, then just do it. Do it. And don't wait for someone to tell you what to do. And they taught me that. And that was instilled in my life. And that's just the way I am. When I see something, I'm going to do it. We shouldn't have to wait for someone to ask us to do something. Are you guys with me? Self-starters. Self-starters. Are you a self-starters? A self-starter, excuse me. Are you one that just gets the job done? Or just stands around, well, what are you going to tell me what to do? No, no, no. And these ants can teach us a great lesson. Amen? Also notice ants... They're not just self-starters. Ants also see what's ahead. They see what's ahead. Look at the text. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. You see, the ant works and works because, listen now, it understands that what? That winter's coming, right? And what they do, they prepare and protect themselves from hard times. And, and for us, this is wisdom, right? I mean, this is wisdom. We work and we work. We work, why? So we can store provisions, right? Put stuff aside, provisions, to prepare and protect us for the future from hard times. My parents always said, put some stuff aside as you work. Put things aside for our what? A rainy, a rainy day. Because your appliances may go out. Your car may have issues, right? And so you work, put provisions aside, so you have that kind of money, right, to be able to repair those things. Can, can someone say amen? So they see what's ahead, and we should do the same. And as we work and work and work, put provisions aside for a rainy day. Self-starter and see what's ahead. Now I want you to notice the rebuke. Okay, stay with me now. The rebuke, verses 9 
through 10. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? <laughs> when will you get up from your sleep? Look, look at verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Solomon points out that tolerating even a little laziness is risky. It's risky. What starts off as a little, a little, a little can become, what he's saying can become a crippling habit, being lazy and lazy and lazier. So that's the rebuke. Notice the result of being lazy. Verse 11, and poverty will come on you like a bandit or thief and scarcity like an armed man. Do you get that? Listen, poverty will overtake a lazy, unprepared person as quickly, what Solomon's saying, as quickly as a robber or an armed man as, or, or an armed man assaults his victim. That's what he's saying. And gradually and irresistibly, poverty comes to the sluggard. And what it does, friends, this is how the result is material poverty. Material poverty. Not only material poverty, but also spiritual poverty. When we become spiritually lazy, right, we become spiritually impoverished, right? And we, we become lazy. We don't want to read the Word of God. We don't want to get up. We don't want to pray. And that is spiritual poverty. That's what laziness does. So are you guys ready for the lesson? There's a lesson. Really simple. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Now, now, verse, now I want you to write this down. Chapter 21 of Proverbs, verse 25. says, The sluggard's cravings will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Did you get that? The sluggard's cravings will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Proverbs 21, verse 25. Chapter 21, verse 25. And then 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this. For even, in Paul's writing this, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. This is the rule he gave those in Thessalonica. The one who is unwilling... Say unwilling. Not unable, okay, not unable, but unwilling to work shall not eat. Got it? Not unable, but unwilling shall not eat. Listen, friends, if a person is poor, and someone said this, if a person is poor because he or she is too lazy, unwilling, not unable, but unwilling to work, they don't deserve charity. Are you guys with me? So here's the lesson. Are you ready for another lesson? Be a hard worker. Be a hard worker. Are you with me? If you're safe, say amen. We ought to be Christians. Listen now. We ought to be the hardest working people on the face of this earth. We should be known as very hard workers. Colossians 3.23. Some of you might know this by heart. Colossians 3.23. Paul writes, whatever you do, whatever you do, work. Right? Say work. Work at it with all your heart, all your might, as working for the Lord. Right? Are you guys with me? And don't just work hard when your boss is looking at you, all right? Work, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now, I want to tell you, friends, there is nothing, nothing worse than a lazy Christian. It is a bad testimony to be a lazy Christian. 
It's a good testimony to be a hardworking Christian. And trust me, people are looking, looking at you at work. They are to see if you're a hard worker or not. But there's nothing worse than a Christian who professes Christ and who's just lazy. Lazy. Are you guys with me? I also want to say this. This is not a license to become a workaholic. Got it? This is not a license to become a workaholic. Your work should never be the center of your world. It should be God and your family, the center of your world, right? So what we got to do, because we're talking about wisdom, right, is that daily say, Lord, I'm going to go about my day. Give me the wisdom when to work, when to stop working, and when to rest. Amen? And we got to do that. There's got to be balance in our, balance in our lives, right? I'm going to work, and, there, and we should work. We should work. Got it? To provide for our lives and our families, right? But there's also got to be a time to rest. And it's good to rest. All right? Lord, give me the wisdom when to know when to work and when to rest. Can someone say amen? The lone the lazy, number three, I'm going to use this word, the loser. Say that. The loser, write that down. Because what Solomon does now, Solomon now moves from the lazy man to now warning us about the worthless and wicked man, the loser. And everything this person, friend, says has an angle and a perverse purpose. And this person is dangerously destructive. And you notice as we go through the text, and what Solomon is saying basically is this, avoid this kind of person. Avoid him. Verses 12 to 15. A scoundrel and a villain, in other words, worthless, good-for-nothing, unprofitable, con artist, a scammer, a wicked man who goes about with a corrupt mouth. In other words, what, what he says isn't straight, this isn't straight, isn't honest, and isn't right. What he does, he purposely tries to lead people astray by lying to them. Verse 13, who winks with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his finger. Verse 14, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. This is what he does. He always, he always, stirs up dissension slash conflict. So this person loves to see people divided. He wants to see people divided. Loves to bring controversy to divide people. Now, verse 15. And verse 15, this verse out of sin chills up and down our spine. You ready? You ready? <laughs> you ready? All right, verse 15. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in and what? Instant. And he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. When disaster, friends, when tragedy comes, he has nothing to fall back on. Are you guys with me? In an instant, he's broken beyond healing. And it doesn't end well for him. He will crash and he will burn. Listen now. In the end, he loses. He loses. And Solomon's saying, be careful. Avoid this kind of person. Because if you're around this kind of person, he's going to drag you down as well. You guys with me? Say the lone. Say the lazy. Say the loser. Number four is the list. Write that down. Say the list. 
We're going to spend some time on this point. And here we see the list of things, listen now, the list of things that God hates. Say God hates. An abomination to him. This, this list describes what dis, displeases God. Now, yes, we know this, right? He's a God of love, right? If you believe that, say amen. He's a God of love, but there are things that he, God, cannot be a part of. And God, listen now, he wants them as far as possible from his presence. And this whole list thing is a warning to stay clear from them. Stay clear from these things. Verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Now, I want to point out that starting with the list of six and then adding a seventh was common literary, uh, common literary in Hebrew poetry. They always did that. They, did, they said, here's six. They add a seven. It also is the idea that this is not an exhaustive list. There are many more, okay, things that God hates, but we only have this here in the text. So follow me. First thing he hates, verse 17, is haughty eyes. Say that. Haughty eyes. We would put it this way, and write this down. Eyes that rise. Eyes that rise. Attitude of prideful superiority. The prideful person overvalues self and undervalues others. And what it is, it's a proud look, a proud, very proud look, eyes that rise, a proud look, friends, that sees other people and thinks to themselves, thinks to him or herself, I'm better and greater than them. Question, who was, who, who was it that got kicked out of heaven? Lucifer. It was his pride, pride that caused him to fall. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. You can go home and read that. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 18. And he thought he was greater than God. And he said, you know, I'm greater than God. And God said, can't have any of that. Uh-uh. And what did God do? God cast him down. You see, God cannot be anywhere near where pride resides. God hates what pride does to people. You guys with me? And he hates what it does to anything, whether it's angelic or human. And it's pride that causes us, you and I, to stumble and fall. Listen, friends, we are prideful when we think we're better than others. We are prideful when we refuse to admit that we're wrong. We are prideful when we don't accept correction, when, when, when we are unteachable. Prideful when we refuse to forgive others. We are prideful when we struggle submitting to authority. We are prideful when you and I, when we neglect prayer, we're saying, I got this. Don't need God. We are prideful when we have to be right, when we have to win an argument, and get the last word. Prideful. Pride is usually the basic motivation for all other sins. You notice that the middle letter in pride is I, and the middle letter in sin is I? Pride is sin. Chapter 16, verse 18, we'll get into this scripture down the line in the series, but 
Chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In James 4, 6, you might know this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the what? To the humble. So you and I, we need to swallow our pride and have a humble heart. And by the way, swallowing your pride is calorie-free. Can someone say amen? Haughty eyes. The second thing on the list is a lying tongue. Say that. Not telling the truth. That's what it means. We know that, right? God, hey, you're not telling the truth. Did you know, by the way, that nine out of ten people lie on their resumes? Others lie to get revenge. Others lie to get what they want. Others lie, listen now, to avoid punishment. Oh, sorry, officer, I didn't see the stop sign. You liar. <laughs> Others lie to excuse their irresponsibility. Yeah? Listen, friends, half a truth is a whole lie. A white lie is a lie. Exaggerating, stretching the truth is a lie. And we are politicians, you know them, right? Politicians say all the time, well, I misspoke. No, 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 you lied. You lied. Write this down, John 8, 44. John chapter 8, verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Titus 1, 2. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. says, God does not lie. You guys get that? So lying is not from our Heavenly Father, right? If you believe that, say amen. It's from who? The father of lies, from Satan. That being said, whose child are you? Huh? Who's your father? Who, who, who do you resemble, huh? The father of lies or the father of truth? And friends, if you're saved, say amen. We must be truth tellers. Yeah? And this is why it's so important for you and I to fill our lives with the word. His word is truth. Right? Because when you and I, when we're filled with truth, guess what? We're truthful. Got it? When you're filled with the truth of God's word, you cannot help but want to tell the truth. Amen? The third thing on the list is hands that shed innocent blood. That's speaking of murder. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to get into too much detail on these, these lists of sins here, okay, and things that God hates. But I want to say this. There's a difference between killing and murdering. Are you guys with me? Murder is premeditated. Thou shalt not murder. It's premeditated. Human life Human life is sacred. Can I get an amen? And we have been created by the hands of the living God. And every single person is a creation of God. Can I get an amen? Therefore, when someone murders someone, they're destroying that gift of God. Amen? God gives life. And only God can take life. Amen? Look at the fourth thing on the list. A heart, verse 18, a heart that devises wicked schemes. In other words, wicked imaginations, wicked thoughts. 
This is someone who was thinking about or, or planning how they could break the law and how they could hurt others. Man. Look at the fifth thing on the list. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. This is talking about the heart that blazes a trail and the feet quickly follow. In other words, they want to fulfill their schemes quickly and enjoy their pleasures immediately. If you're safe, say amen. We should have cleansed feet, pure feet. Amen? We should have beautiful, prepared feet. Feet fitted, ready to share the gospel of peace with others. We should have obedient feet. Feet that walk according to the will and word of God. Amen? Look at the sixth thing on the list. Verse 19, a false witness who pours out lies. This is someone who spread, spreads false rumors. Huh? Who is willing to lie in any given situation, even in the court of law, in order to wrongly accuse someone else. Warren Wiersbe said this, without truth, things start to fall apart. When people lie, the foundations of society begin to crumble. Whether it's a statement from a government official, a clause in a contract, a deposition in court, or a vow at the marriage altar, truth cannot be violated without society ultimately suffering. You guys with me? Look at the seventh thing. A man and a man who stirs up dissension. That word could be conflict among brothers. We could also use the word in the community. A man who stirs up dissension slash conflict among brothers in the community. This is, this is grievous to God. This is grievous to God. This is a, a troublemaker, one, a troublemaker sowing seeds of suspicion between people in the family, at work, Especially in the church. So they will end up hating each other, these people. Stirs up conflict. And God hates it when people cause division and strife in the family, especially in the church. You guys with me? And you know what? Satan, he just thrives on this. He loves this. He thrives on this. In fact, again, he's a pro at this. Why? Because he stirred up dissension in heaven. Remember that? We just spoke that earlier about what he did, right? When he exalted himself and says, you know what? I will ascend myself above the throne of the Most High while he was cast down. And he took what one-third of the angels with him. He caused division. And Satan can, Satan can easily come in and divide and destroy the church. I was raised as a kid. I was raised in a church that there was always church splits. People fighting against each other and, and arguing against each other. People causing conflict with one another, one another. And this is why I didn't want to become a pastor, because I saw all that was going on in the church. I mean, just the church would split over dumb things. Satan didn't have to do anything, really. This, this breaks the heart of God. Question, are you a troublemaker? Do you like to stir up 
and sow seeds of dissension and conflict? Listen, do you grumble about minor things in the church and try to get others to side with you or get others to be against each other? Huh? Here's the lesson. Sow seeds of unity. Sow seeds of unity. Most of us know this Psalm 133, one wonderful portion of Scripture, wonderful verse. How good and pleasant, Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen? Let me tell you something. Look at me, church. The devil's going to try to stir up dissension and conflict in this church, and he's going to try to use you and me to do it. And we can either, listen, I'll fall into that trap or refuse that and say, no, I'm going to sow seeds, not of dissension and conflict. I'm going to sow seeds of unity. Amen? Because it's good and pleasant when God's people live together, it blesses the heart of God when he sees a church, a ministry, a family unified. Amen? Now, I want to say this, okay? If you want to leave a church, and if you do, okay, this one or anyone, go ahead. Go ahead. But don't cause a split. Amen? Just go on your way. Don't cause a split. You guys got it? So here, here's a lesson under this fourth point. Here we go. Love what God loves and hate what he hates. Love what God loves and hate what he hates. Now, I want to say this. Do you know why God hates these things, speaking of sin? Because of, of what these things, of what sin does to us. He hates these things. He hates sin. Listen, friends, because he loves us so much and he doesn't want us to, listen, to, to needlessly and unnecessarily suffer the consequences of what doing these things will bring upon our lives. And by the way, let me say this. To love what God loves and hate what he hates is a beautiful, wonderful picture of holiness. You guys with me? Well, you know, Pastor, I want to be holy. Good, I'm glad to hear that. I want to live a pure life. Good, I'm glad to hear that. Well, how do you do that? Very simple. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. You guys with me? Number five, the lamp. The lone, the lazy, the loser, the list, the lamp. Say the lamp because you know what? It's God's word. Say God's word that warns us against adultery. God's word that warns us against sexual immorality. Now I want you to look at verses 20 through 29 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teachings. Now we've seen Solomon talking about a son paying attention to his father's advice, right? We see that in the series so far, but a mother's advice is pretty important too. And all the mama said, amen. So my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind, say bind, in other words, memorize, memorize them. 
upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. That's a necktie that will never go out of style. Someone say amen. Verse 22. When you walk, now I want you to follow me here. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. Speaking of the word, commands, right? So let's go back to that. When you walk, they will guide you. The word will guide you. Got it? When you sleep, they will watch over you. The word is your guardian. Not only guides you, but it's your guardian. When you awake, they will speak to you. The word of God is your companion. You guys get that? Write that down. Write that down. When you walk, they will guide you. Put guide. Circle that guide. When you sleep, they will watch over you. That's guardian. When you awake, they will speak to you. That's your companion. Isn't that wonderful? That the word of God guides me. It's my guardian. Protects me. My companion speaks to me. Yeah? Verse 23, for these commands are, here we go, are what? Lamp. A lamp. This teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. You know what Psalm is quoting there? He's quoting Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a what? Lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Now, if you're safe, say amen. God's word, say God's word, will never lead us to the adulterous woman. Never. Or keep us with her. The word of God will always say, Keep away, stay away, don't go there, right? Right? So let's go back to verse 24. These commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Verse 24, keeping you. What's keeping you from that? The word. Keeping you from the immoral woman. Got it? From the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Again, this is referring to flattery, right? Flattery. Right? Flattery. Oh, oh, you're so spiritual. Oh, you're so smart. So strong. You're so wise. Oh, I love the way you think. That's flattery. Someone said flattery is the bread of fools, but many men are starving for it. Listen, wives. Listen, wives. If your husband is not encouraged, affirmed, or appreciated at home, then he's vulnerable to flattery. I just said something. Are you guys with me? Verse 25, do not lust in your heart after her beauty. Huh. Matthew 5.28, write that down. Matthew 5.28. Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It all starts in the heart. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Remember, flirting by batting her eyes at you, right? Remember that? Remember that? The false eyelashes and all that, right? Verse 26, for a prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. In other words, you're taken down. All you have is a piece of bread. And the adulteress preys upon your very life. In other words, she goes after the best. 
She goes after the best. She seeks out the precious life. She wants to knock you down. Verse 27, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Verse 28, can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Well, this is a rhetorical question, right? We know the answer. It's what? No, that can't happen. That's impossible. You're going to get what? Burned. You're going to get burned. Same thing, listen now, with sin. You guys with me? This is what happens when we give ourselves into sin. There's going to be a result. We're going to get burned. Verse 29, so is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go, what, unpunished. In other words, the consequences are inevitable. We cannot escape the consequences. You guys with me? And an adulterer might think his sin is secret, that he's hiding it, no one will find out, as David did, right? David tried to do that. But God sees all. God knows all. In fact, God has warned us in Numbers 32, 23. Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Verses 30 to 33. If you're still with me, say amen. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. The New Living Translation says like this. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he's starving. Verse 31 says this. Yet, if he is caught, he must what? Pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. In other words, there's still a penalty attached to that. He's not going to get away with that, right? When he's caught, he has to pay it back. Verse 32. But a man who commits adultery lacks what? Sense, judgment, discretion. Whoever does so destroys himself. I believe the King James says destroys his soul. Listen, friends. Listen. Every sex act Outside of marriage takes away from you. It reduces you. It diminishes you. It destroys you. Destroys your soul. And I just want you to think about it. Make a list, if you would. Make a list of what would happen if you committed this sin. Adultery, fornication. And force yourself to look at the consequences. What would this do to your wife? What would this do to your kids? To your grandkids? To your friends? What would this do to the people in the church? What would it do to your effectiveness in your ministry? What would it do to the people you've witnessed to? What would it do to the other people? person's spouse or the other person's family and friends. I mean, what if you contracted a sexually transmitted disease? You see, in the end, someone say in the end, in the end, you will end up devastated and devastating the people who love you and the people who care for you. Look at verse 30, 33. Blows, boom, boom, and disgrace are his lot. And the shame will never be wiped away. Now, 
Although if he does repent, if he does, he will be forgiven by God. We know that, right? Right? Yet the repro reproach and scandal of it remains. In other words, his reputation is ruined for good. And, and I've known some, some pastors and people in ministry who have fallen into sexual immorality and God has forgiven them, but they have never been the same. Their ministry has never been the same. Their reputation is ruined for good. Verses 34 and 35, we're almost done here. Where jealousy arouses a husband's fury. This is speaking of the man whose wife had an affair on him. And he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. Verse 35, he will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. In other words, you can't buy him off and you can't cool him down. Are you guys with me? How many times have you and I heard of reports of what jealous spouses do when they learn of their spouse's infidelity? Huh? Right? In a fit of jealous rage, what? Stabs or shoots the offender. We see it all the time on TV, don't we? Just watch, watch Dateline. We see it all the time. Right? And Solomon's point is this, I believe, is the violent rage of a wronged husband is something a prospective adulterer ought to consider. And before you even try to do that, think about that gal's husband who's going to come after you when he finds out you've been messing around with her. You guys with me? So this is good warnings, wise warnings for you and I, friends. I mean, we've been in this book for what? I don't know how many couple months now, right? And this is free advice, free wisdom that you and I get through God's Word. And so my whole thing here as I close is going through this passage today, and we're going to talk more briefly in chapter 7 about the, the, um, the adulterer and, and, and the woman who seeks out to get the man to bed and all that. But we're going to move on to verse eight, uh, chapter 8 as well quickly next week too. But I'm hoping as we looked at this passage today, I hope and pray that we would love what God loves and hate what God hates and embrace, embrace what he says. Even when our culture is against everything he says in his word. Amen? And so as you go about your days, you go about doing your daily things, get up and say, Lord Jesus, today as I walk my life, today as I go about living my life, Lord, I want to love what you love and hate what you hate. That I may honor you. Amen? Wise warnings to live wisely. Let's all stand. Father, we thank